so how do you explain geometry? And right at that moment, he said, uh, his dog started barking. And, and his dogs were barking and he's like, see, my dogs don't like geometry as a concept either. And I, and I was thinking to myself, well, maybe your dogs are barking to tell you to listen. Drop mic. Oh, that's good. The universe is always happening for us. It's not ever happening to us. We just have to start realizing when people say they're woke and they're judgmental of other people in, in a negative way, um, then you know they're not really awakened. How are you? How you doing? Thank really you. Good? Um, IG really good. overlords do not like me apparently. <laughs> the the IG What's overlords. The, <laughs> What's the problem? I they, what are the they stopped me from being able to go do? live. I can't go live now for some reason. So I don't know. You know, That's it's so e weird. That happened to me when I posted this thing on the um, on ISIS. And it was on, uh, it was so ridiculous. It was a thing on Osiris and ISIS, but they thought it was ISIS-K. So they banned me from being able to do any lives for like three months. It was ridiculous. But that's kind of what's wrong with the whole social yeah, media I mean, thing uh, right now. AI is checking for every single bit of uh, information that doesn't align with the narrative. If it doesn't align with the mainstream narrative, they tag it. And it's, a, it's AI, right? It's not like a person there waiting to, re, you know, reading your information. AI is just uh, combing mm -hmm. through the, the audio, combing through the visuals and pulling up anything that is filtered. Um, it makes me wonder. This is why we need a decentralized social media platform and why that's exactly what my team has been building for the last few years and we're now finished with it. And, It'll continue to develop and everything, but you know, to be a social media platform that's fully encrypted, quantum resistant, and decentralized. And the reason why companies have to like block you like this is because if it's on their centralized server, they're responsible for it, right? However, if it's on a distributed nodal network, right, across, there's no one server, and even all of those servers have sort of sharded or fragmented information and keys, et cetera, then, then there's no throat to choke to say, hey, we want to surveil someone. And they have to then follow just the regular constitutional law process, which is to get a warrant from a judge, right? And that's the issue is that the surveillance has been going on without getting warrants from judges. There was a great article this morning that came out in Cointelegraph by Jack Dorsey, where he basically was making the case for decentralized social media as being the only solution to this government overreach, corporate overreach, oligopolies basically stealing your data and, and taking advantage of you. And it's why I wrote this book recently that's gonna be coming out in the spring called Neuromind, M-I-N-E-D. We're all being Neuromind. So yeah, I hate to see this stuff. Um, I believe strongly in free speech and I'm sure you do too. And if you haven't been censored yet, uh, you know, it may not feel that close to home to you, but as soon as you get censored or blocked, it's like really. I, I'm really almost. I had to alchemize the emotion. 
And I'm just feeling as like a badge of honor now. I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. I'm saying something right. <laughs> yeah, right. I know, right? And I was like, you know, this was not a message I was going to try to give this morning. That wasn't the point of this. And you just sent me the message right before saying, oh my gosh, I just figured out I'm blocked from being able to do a live. So I then offer yeah, you know, I'll, let's go, let's go into your, your, a little bit into your uh, project. Um, you know, I, want, I really want to know what it means mm -hmm. to be exactly quantum resistant. Um, you had mentioned in, in uh, I saw a live that you did on stage and you were talking about uh, how it's different because of the one tap, something about one, one time, time pad. Yeah. So tell me, one tell me about pad, that and yeah. tell me like exactly how is it resistant? So one time pads, if you just look it up on um, Wikipedia, if you just look up one time pad encryption, it'll say in the first line, it, it is an encryption methodology that when used correctly cannot be cracked. And basically, it's the same one that's used on nuclear codes. The challenge with this and implementing it is not easy. It is really difficult. The reason why it's so difficult is because it requires that every character that your messaging has, your message has within it, has to be individually encrypted. So that means you have these crazy long keys, which makes it very, very inefficient, right? And so what we had to do is figure out how to compress the keys losslessly and still maintain their randomness. And so that took a lot of mathematical work to come to that solution. It also required some discovery in the process and we found patents on it as well. And so what that means is that on our platform, when you send messages, we found an efficient way to be able to utilize one-time pad on top of blockchain, which were the first to do this. And uh, it, it came with significant challenges. And the other thing that you have to make sure, there are four conditions that have to be met. The keys have to be random, right? Or considered what is random. And really that's more of a uniform distribution test. In other words, it's not falling under the category of something like Benford's law, which would say, if you open a newspaper today, just randomly, and you count the number of ones, the number of twos, the number of threes, the number of fours, the five sixes that show up in the newspaper, just the first nine numbers, you'll end up with a distribution of something like 34% will be in the number one, 17% will be the number two, 12% will be the number three, and it kind of follows this curve all the way down. And, and so what it means is that generally, when we think things might be random through a random selection of a newspaper page, it's not actually. Uh, the only thing that gives you true randomness is gonna be, um, you know, at the starting point, a uniform distribution. That means you're no more or less likely to have one digit versus another digit or one number That's... versus another number right in that in that string right so that makes it a lot more difficult to predict therefore right so what we what we also had to figure out is how to use machine learning to ensure that keys never get used twice mm -hmm. so that's a big challenge because in order to effectually you know put in place a one-time pad you have to ensure that the numbers are random a the use for the key Two, that, or B rather, that, that the, um, the keys mm -hmm. that you use never get reused. So they have to be truly a one-time usage key and no segment mm -hmm. of that key either. So it's like the string of that key can never be reused as well. And so uh, we had to solve that using supervised machine learning and still maintain the randomness, right, under all the NIST protocols. There's several protocols which are, one of them is called PractRan, another one's called U01, another one's called Die Harder out of Switzerland. And these are all randomness tests, right, that you have to be able to do. And, and you end up testing, you know, 20, 30 terabytes of, of 
you know, numbers to make sure that you can actually achieve what these requirements are for randomness, right? Or at least, you know, even though randomness is a difficult thing to define. And in fact, I talk about randomness all, all the time. And I say that I don't really believe in randomness. I just think there's probably patterns that are too big for our brains or our consciousness level to comprehend at this time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean there's no patterns there, but there's no computational methods to be able to ascertain patterns uh, beyond a certain point. And, and basically, uh, the, you know, the other aspect of it as well is that you never share the key other than just with the person. So the way we did that is we shard the key, right? So that all the nodal validators all have fragments of the key, but without all the other fragments placed back together, no one could open it. So if the government showed up to me and said, hey, I wanna see Odo Gomes's, uh, you know, uh, message traffic, I would have to say, I can't access it. And I truly cannot. We don't, we don't manage the keys, we don't store the keys for you. They're stored across the nodal network in a decentralized fashion. So there's no one person to be able mm -hmm. to control it except for you. And a lot of people think that Telegram is encrypted. It is not. It's total BS. It's like the, the funniest thing I've ever heard. And I believe that too. The only way you can have an encrypted message exchange on Telegram is in a one-to-one -one discussion. And you have to put, before you uh, create this new chat between you and me, say, I'd have to put secret chat. So there's a little mm -hmm. tab that says, make this a secret chat. If, if you don't do that, then it's not encrypted at all. So the default on Telegram is not encrypted, A. B, all groups on Telegram are not at all encrypted. Oh, it's not that's even a service that's offered. Everybody jumped to Telegram thinking that too, yeah. Right? I was like, <laughs> yeah. right. And, and then you kind of laugh about it because we say that you know, WhatsApp is end-to-end -end encrypted. Well, that's kind of funny too because, wait a minute, let's just look at their business model. How is it that they got $10 billion in sales last year with no subscription and no advertising? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> that's called... It, yeah. Uh, it's a data scrape. They scrape your data. You know, when I found out that there are 56 pages just on me that politicos could access to find out exactly what my position is on every single point, and I've never shared those positions with people, right? I, I'm purposely don't talk politics on social media and stuff just because you know it's it's like some of those things are just my personal views and and frankly you know i'm kind of in this mode right mm -hmm. now where i'm sort of anti-politics in general right because i've kind of decided that you know what <laughs> whether you're left or right you're just still throwing garbage at the other side it's it's like gotten ridiculous and so i'm just like okay i'm kind of opting out of that system but there are 56 pages on me even mm -hmm. the fact that i'm in the middle and imagine, anyone can now access and find out if I'm a, quote, dissident or not. And so I asked, where does this data come from? Oh, it's all from your messaging and social media Which? apps. They know what my position is on abortion. They know my position on China. They know my position on COVID lockdowns. They know everything. And they sell that data. And it's worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. So I'm now going throughout the internet and I found a method to be able to cleanse myself from all of this kind of data. It cost me 5,000 bucks to do it. I had to hire private investigative wow. things to basically set it up. But I wanna be cleansed of this stuff on, online because unless I want something to be out there, then mm. I've just become the product. I have a question else. for you. you. In our interview, and everyone that's watching, if you haven't um, heard this, I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Or Robert 
last week and it's going to be released tomorrow. So make sure you guys check it out. It's going to be on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Otto Gomes. You mentioned on there that um, by the end of the year, the, the government came out and said that by the end of the year, all government agencies have to upgrade their systems to be quantum resistant. And I just saw uh, Apple came out and said that they're now allowing you to encrypt 25 character encryption for like 15 other uh, services in, on the phone now. So do you think that, I mean, you're, you're definitely ahead of the curve here because you've, you've already gone through this whole process and created the, the, the new system, especially being on the blockchain. Um, so do you see this being, you know, kind of like the, the new, like maybe in the year 2023, everybody's going to become very aware of this? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a gigantic mm -hmm. shoe that drops. It's already been happening. I started talking about data sovereignty. I've always had this thing. I mean, even before I kind of had my, probably bought my data from someone. Um, I was gonna say, you got a phone call, like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. telemarketing. <laughs> yeah. so even, before, even before I had my spiritual awakening, I've always been able to predict trends and see how things are going to evolve at a ma macro scale. It's just always been a weird thing of mine. I can always predict the future. I, I remember like in 1990 saying, oh my gosh, one day everything, that was like 1989 or something, one day everything's gonna be on a cellular telephone, all your computer and everything, and you'll be able to send messages back and forth and watch TV and everything. And I remember, I was like, oh, maybe I should file a patent on this stuff that I'm thinking about. And, um, and I thought, oh, this is crazy. You know, what, what am I thinking? And, you know, and then not too far later, you know, it happened. And the thing is, is that you look at someone like Steve Jobs or someone like Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci saw stuff 500 years before their time. And so he didn't exactly die a wealthy guy. And, hey, he died with probably a very, very fulfilling life. You know, he, he was living in the king's house of France at the time in a place called Chateau d'Amboise. And Anne Boleyn lived there at the same time, too. But if you look at Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, you know, went from being a visionary that wasn't very good at picking the timing of when the world needed his stuff. And then he nailed it. He freaking nailed it. And if you watch on YouTube, there's a video of him giving a presentation to his sales force in 1999. He just became CEO. He was interim CEO still. And he says to the sales force, he has this presentation, and he shows all these different things. It was like a, a computer, a desktop, a, you know, a laptop computer, uh, a, a thermostat in your house, a, a stereo system with a giant rack right on it and everything. Yeah. And <laughs> a Rolodex and, and like a map. I mean, it had all this stuff in the circle around this yeah. and the Garmin GPS stuff too, right? He had all this stuff in a circle and he said, all of these will disappear. And they all just disappeared. And then right in the center comes the iPod for music. He goes, this is going to replace all of it. And I remember I was at Harvard Business School at the time, and the professor said, how many of you here have an uh, iPhone? You know, everyone raised their hand, you know, well, high percentage, right? How many of you have iPads? Everyone raised their hand. Everyone had iPads. It was crazy. Like everyone in the room, 180 people had iPads. And they said, how many of you think that, that Steve Jobs got lucky? And strangely... You know, there were still like five people that raised their hands and said, ah, this was all luck. This was all luck. He didn't just see the future, right? I tell you what, it was freaking uncanny. 
because it was, you know, 11 years later when I was at that Harvard class. And, um, you know, everyone, and I never thought, if someone came to me in 1999 and said, do you need a device that does this list of things, da, 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 all the stuff that we use it for today, I would say, I don't need that. So market mm -hmm. research doesn't always work well. And Steve Jobs is not a fan of only using market research. So instead, right, if I went to every one of those people that owned iPads at that time and said, can I take it away from you? Do you need it now? And by the way, how many iPads do you have? I only have one iPhone, but I have about 35 iPads. What? Do you, you know oh, what? Because they're embedded in my house all over the place, right? It, it's like, it's crazy because they're used for everything now. They're literally used for everything. So the market for iPad was way bigger than, than even iPhone, right? I don't go through as many iPads, but I certainly, as I do, you know, changing up my iPhones. But I mean... The difference between Steve Jobs and Leonardo da Vinci was Steve Jobs learned how to master the exact timing of when the world would need something and anticipated it just before so that the product met the market at the exact right time. Newton came out in 1993 and it was too far ahead of its time and it was not well adopted, right? So adoption is about getting the vibe. You gotta get into that frequency of what the world is yeah. like moving towards. It's like riding a wave that's already happening and cresting. And I saw this wave on data sovereignty mm -hmm. in 2018. And, I, and we coined the term data sovereignty. We went, out, we went to our offsite and we said, it's got, this has got to be all about data sovereignty because data is going to be the most important thing. They're going to be able to predict what we're going to do. And that's going to take away our own individuality. And and so if I have a politician who could show up to me and say, oh, I know how you feel about this, that, and the other, and I'm going to do those things while disregarding the other points. And so I'm thinking, oh, we've connected. He understands me, right? I vote for this guy, and then he goes in and does the mm -hmm. other policies that I would vehemently disagree with. And then we get stuck by having our data sold. We get stuck in these echo chambers on social media of our own conditioning bias. So it's like I'm... I go into this place on social media and everyone agrees with me. Oh my gosh, everyone agrees. And then I go to Thanksgiving with my family and I start talking to them about politics or something. And they're like, I don't agree with you. And I'm like, what? You disagree with me? Oh my God. Oh my God. I posted this video today of uh, my podcast with, with Lawrence Krauss and Lawrence and I spent time in Egypt together. And Lawrence is a, you know, middle of the road, but, but, outstanding within the middle of the road physicist who is well known. I mean, his research led to two Nobel prizes. I don't know many people who, who've done that, right? He wasn't the recipient of those Nobel prizes, but it was his research that was tested in an experiment that won the Nobel prizes, mm -hmm. both for dark matter and for dark energy. And yet we don't agree on a lot of stuff. We became friends with each other in Egypt. And I was just like, you know, picking his brain and we're talking about all kinds of stuff from, Egyptology to geometry to physics and everything. And we don't agree on everything. And that's okay. We can still be friends. We've lost our ability to empathize, which is a core trait Ooh. of being human. And this is why I believe we need to protect our identity. We need to protect our data so that we can still have empathy. I've had many times where people have changed my mind on things. I like the fact that I've been able to have my mind changed on things. And some of the most profound experiences I've experienced have been because I had a realization 
that a friend or not even a friend was able to persuade me using both logos <laughs> and pathos. And if all my data is sold, then even the idea of what I think I am Ooh, might just you be just a hit the nail on the head with that one. I was just seeing this video the other day about uh, machine learning. Imagine this. Imagine machine learning on the people that are using the phone. It starts to pick up on what you're looking at on the screen. And then it starts to influence, because of what you're looking at, your sexual orientation. Like if you're a young person and you're, and you're looking on Twitter and you stop for a millisecond longer on a man, you know, whatever, uh, and you do that often, the machine learning could influence the way you feel about certain things because it keeps pushing that, you know, what are you looking at? I mean, the confusion, the, 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 the manipulation is just. You want to hear something shocking? I just had my business partner sent me a, an email uh, that was actually a, of a Twitter, of a tweet, excuse me, that was by Katie Porter, who's a congresswoman here in Orange County. And one of my team members ran against her uh, and lost. And he lost, you know, by two percentage points um, in the end. But basically, she made a comment this morning in a tweet that she said that when people are termed pedophile, use the term pedophile, that that's really just their sexual orientation. It doesn't mean that they are, you know, criminals. And so we shouldn't be criminalizing your sexual orientation. So... so I'm like, wait, what? So what that means then, it's interesting, right? It's, it's an interesting subtlety. So it's like, I could say I have pedophilia tendencies, right? And I certainly do not, but I, let's say that I, I did. And I could say that's my classification, that I'm a pedophile. And you shouldn't look at me like I'm a sex offender because I haven't necessarily acted on those predilections. This is the type of nuance that, that are a, happening that right is now. That's such a, um, you know, this whole thing with pedophilia. Uh, every time I hear about it, I'm like, wow, we're not, we're not even trying to look at the root cause of this, which I believe is a symptom. And we're just perpetuating the trauma. We're just reinforcing the trauma by, by it's not even like, it's not even that like they want just recognition. They want to be put at the front of the line. It's like, hey, include us in everything. This is who we are. And it's like, dude, this is a trauma. This is like something deeper. It's a symptom. But don't you see that it's all part of a, mm. in a way, like a social experiment, right? We don't even know that we are being influenced. It's like back in the 70s, there were ads for Coca-Cola. And they would, you know, in the middle of the programming, they could flash an image of like a nice, refreshing Coke. Right? And you wouldn't even see it. You couldn't even see it. It was faster than 30 frames a second. It was just one frame. But they noticed that it dramatically increased You start getting thirsty. You start getting uh, that. That, that, the thirst, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a body trigger. Yeah, totally. And now we're going into these echo chambers, and we think we've got all these groupings, social groupings around us of like-mindedness, when actually it's – we don't even know it, but we could be actually – in a way, getting brainwashed. We don't, even, we don't even have a clue. So the only way that I think that we can save us, save ourselves from a totally crazy dystopian nightmare future, right, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, 
oh, why is that woman wearing mm -hmm. that red outfit with the red hood, mm -hmm. you know? It's like Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like Praise Be, right? I'm, I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's crazy stuff to talk about, but I can tell you, you know, when I first saw the movie V for Vendetta, I remember the visceral reaction I had when they kept saying it's for the public good. And that the individual must suffer for the public good. Well, I believe fundamentally that government are instituted among men so that they can derive their just powers from the consent of those that are governed. And they're there to protect the ability for individuals to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, period. It's for the individual. Governments don't exist for you know, government. Governments exist to protect the individual rights and freedoms because otherwise who else will? How else does it happen? And now there's an onslaught, massive attack on free speech, which I think is just mind boggling. If you go on to Google and just Google free speech, you're going to find several articles that will come up right at the top that are all negative that are written by <laughs> law schools. University of Richmond. I can't even believe it. There's the first article on there is like, you know, oh, here are the, here are the problems with free speech. There's a reason why we have free speech as the First Amendment. I want to be able to listen to other people's opinions. I don't care that they disagree with me. We've now taken and made society all about Let's avoid oh, any you, kind of hate speech. And hate speech is now... You, you mentioned this in our interview. It's the difference between facts and facets. Yes, I, exactly. So I spent my whole life growing up thinking that I was learning facts. And then one day I finally realized, I'm like, wait, what I'm calling a fact might actually just be a facet. And that's part of expansion of consciousness. Expansion our consciousness is being able to step empathetically into other people's shoes and see their viewpoint. Now, I may not agree, right, with Katie Porter's point about, you know, okay, well, if someone calls themselves a, a pedophile, that doesn't necessarily mean they've classified themselves as a pedophile. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should keep your children away from them, right? And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think parents mm -hmm. should be able to do what they want with their children. But I don't believe that Katie Porter should have the right mm. taken away from her. To I agree say with that. that. I agree with that. Like it... Even though I vehemently disagree with her, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'll argue with you a point. I'll debate a point with you and I'll try to do it as collegially as possible because I think that's important, but I would fight to the death for your right to say yeah. it. I agree with that. I think, um, you know, for me in my life, I've learned that people are, where they're at <laughs> and the more that i try to convince otherwise uh it always comes off desperate like i'm trying to change their mind or trying to you know align with my belief but the best way to you know to, uh, lack of another word to convince or to help is to just accept it's like hey i love you for who you are this is where you're at and that's okay yeah yeah yes yes and that's exactly what right. brings a lot of peace into life Right. If we could start to accept that other people have differing viewpoints, that's cool. I think you want to have a much happier life, live that life. And I, you know, I'm not that old, but I've, I've lived a bit now and I've had a lot of experience, lived in many countries and I'm still learning every day. And in most senses, I feel like the more I learn, the less I actually know. And I remember when I was 20 years old, I thought my parents were stupid. And every year, 
until I became like 27, they became more and more genius. Every year their IQ increased dramatically. And I was like, wow. In the beginning, I'm like, why don't they just do this? And why don't they just vote for that? And why don't they just do that? Everything was black and white and simple. Well, as I went through life, like I said, facts became facets. And, and that, by the way, is wisdom. The E that you have to add to the facet is from, you know, it's funny, the, the, one of the most important mathematical constants is the Euler number, right? Euler. And it's E-U-L-E-E-R. And people sometimes pronounce it Euler, mm. but it means owl in German. Which is kind of funny because an owl, the Euler number is 2.718, an owl's head turns on its axis, is able to see different perspectives and viewpoints. 271.8 degrees. It can look behind itself. <laughs> and it's funny because Euler wasn't even the guy who came up with you know, the term, he, he didn't invent it either. It was arguably Charles Napier. Uh, most believe it was Isaac Newton. Um, but we know that Leonardo da Vinci knew it and he encrypted it into mm. the Vitruvian Man, the squares area on his, on his Vitruvian Man proportionally versus the circle, which is pi r squared, comes out oh, to be the Euler number. So maybe <laughs> that was just pure coincidence. But, but the point is that you know, there, there's something more to understanding this whole Euler thing, and it's the owl, the owl itself. The owl represents wisdom. And wisdom is all about being able to realize that not everything is black and white, and that most things in life are actually shades of gray. And the mo most important thing that we're here to do is not to learn to be better judges. Everyone gets stuck on that. It's like, oh, well, I'm here to become a better judge of what's happening around me. I don't think that's why we're here. I think the reason why we're here is to learn how to love and accept. But in order for us to even have that experience, we have to fight for free speech. Because people, if everyone had the exact same opinion on things and everything else was disallowed to be said, then how exactly could you learn mm. and practice that muscle? How could you actually practice the, the process of becoming empathic mm, you just make me uh made me shift a little bit in everything that i've experienced as being like wow this was a great opportunity the shadow banning the the suppression great opportunity to exercise that muscle to really feel that side to go no no we we can't we can't not not have this like we need to have free speech <laughs> yeah that's right because it, even though we don't want to see things sometimes i i you know i i would be as guilty as anybody on that there's lots of things that i don't want to see and a lot of things that are pretty heinous crimes in the world and obviously horrible things and but i and i completely disagree with <laughs> yeah. katie porter on this it's like sorry and i don't want my kids to be taught in school you know at at the age of five years old the, you know or six years old they're asked you know what gender are you going to be and gender operations now i just saw this film about a gender operation thing that basically was was saying and they were purporting that children by the age of three know mm. what gender they want to be. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's like Excuse the kid me? doesn't even know who he is until he's eight or nine years old. It's like, oh, I'm in this body. You know, they don't know what they're doing at three. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I still yeah. believe in I free speech. You know, 
with all its warts and all of the ugliness and all of the things. I mean, it's the only way that we can re retain realness as well. So that's why I dedicated our effort at, at Crown Sterling to really be about free speech and creating platforms that, that would be able to create decentralized storage. So for example, you know, when, when I got censored on social media during the back half of COVID, I got really concerned because I had like 4,000 posts or something. And I was like, okay, I need to download all of those and put them somewhere, right? It's a huge amount of data. And, but where was I gonna put it? Mm -hmm. That was gonna be the same format. How was I gonna set it up so that it could actually be, because I use it, I've used Instagram and Facebook and everything as another storage method to find things. Because I remember by dates, right? So it's like this ordered process. And for me, I can track my own you know, post and journey, my life journey through this. And so I was thinking, what am I gonna do if all of a sudden I get bounced? And I never said mm -hmm. the word COVID, right? Never said that. And now we're seeing that all this stuff on vaccines that you know, all these people that got kicked off of, of social media altogether and deplatformed, they were right. They were right. The vaccine is no more effective, right? And if you look, look at the studies right yeah. now, it's like, what the hell? Mm -hmm. So what, what was really going on there, right? It's kind of mind boggling. But I was worried about where I could put this data. And I thought, well, what about all these other people? They lose all this post, all this work and everything. So then I thought, okay, we have to create a platform that's totally decentralized impervious and absolutely censorship free. Um, and there might be some aspects of it that we could say, okay, here's what we would have as a centralized grouping. So let's say there's like a commons area or something like that. And we, we will have to be responsible for that. But everybody that sets up their own page, sets up their own chats, their own discussions, they are their own administrators on our platform. We can't even access it. And you, can, you will be able to eventually transfer all of your you'll be able to download all of your instagram data and everything and it'll be recreated oh, I on didn't our page know that. on your oh, own that page, is cool on your own page and and it's all decentralized wow. storage on i did not IPFS. know that that is really cool that you can do that transfer um you know i was just about to say i feel like one of the biggest chasms that it, it, it exists right now is education is just people no, first of all, understanding the layers, understanding blockchain, understanding that space, understanding also the current systems where they're at right now, and, and then knowing how to transition, how to transfer the wealth or transfer the, the, the data, the sovereign data to, the, to these uh, platforms. Um, so do you, have, do you have any some uh, sort of way to, because that's what I've noticed in the crypto space, there's all these products that exist, but not a lot of people using them. So what would you say is, what would you recommend to people? Well, there's no, actually right now, as far as like, there are no that I know of besides us, and we're in beta right now, um, there are no quantum secure, decentralized social, or what I'm calling DCOM, mm -hmm. right? Like so you've heard of DeFi? I'm calling this like quantum secure DCOM, which is uh, decentralized community, decentralized communication. Uh, there are no platforms like that that are quantum secure or that exist yet. You know, there are decentralized solutions for things like data storage and such, but not in a social format yet. I think we'll be the first that I know of. Um, and I'm excited because my whole team is using it. It's, it's awesome. It's cool. 
You know, and, and the truth is people are going to start to realize that the only way to safeguard your data, which is worth thousands and in the future tens of thousands, it's, it's worth your identity, candidly, is to have a mm. subscription-related model that has, like, some form that you're paying for. Right. Otherwise, there's no business model. All these things that are freemium, right? Uh, guess what, guys? No. You're paying just to be on Facebook because your data is being sold. Your mm -hmm. geolocation data is being sold right now. If you look on WhatsApp, as soon as you're on WhatsApp, your geolocation thing shows up, right? Have a look at it. That's sold. That information is sold. So that means that, you know, I don't know if you just saw these three guys that just got killed in the crypto space. One of them was Russian or something. And he basically tweeted, he's like, if I die, then, you know, I was murdered because, you know, I'm in sound, uh, of sound mind and good health and all this stuff. And then he was dead the next day, right? Who knows mm. who could buy your geolocation now? Yeah, no, that's, um, I don't have WhatsApp on my phone exactly for that reason. Because uh, I, I knew that. And, and like, you go, to a, you, go to a, you go to a store that bought the data, you'll see the store pop up an ad on your phone because you're close to the store. So that stuff is very real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's creepy, dude. And you know what? They're now getting, right now, GPS can locate you within yeah. usually like five meters, right? And we all get frustrated with our car sometimes <laughs> we're using it, right? Because it's like not exactly a dirt. But, but where this is going next, the next iteration of this is it's one meter accuracy. What? What's, uh, I, that, that's a rabbit hole right there. We're not going to go down there because I know I, you, you have a short amount of time here. Um, thank you for this, this, uh, this live, Robert, you're the best when it comes to this kind of information and just, um, letting it flow. So, um, thank you. Thank you for this. Uh, if you guys want to, thank you. Thank you. And, and anyone that's got a question also, I, I've got a few more minutes. I can basically, yeah. Go if you want to look questions. to see if there's I mean, any I questions. I actually through. have a question. I actually have a question. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. okay. So this is, this is uh, a little bit based on what you said in our interview. Are we in an actual biological rendering matrix, like a digital biological matrix? And what is a deja vu in that matrix? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. You know, it's funny. I just saw, um, I did a podcast with one of my mm. friends. His name is Nick Zai. And if you're not following him, definitely follow him. He's, he's a smart young man. And I really like him and I, I kind of blew his mind. He came to my office and it happened to be on a day that we had our math research meeting, which are a bunch of mathematicians and physicists. And, and we also do decryption stuff. And that day we were decrypting the Enochian tables, which is like something we've been trying to decrypt for a long time. It was written by John Dee and Edward Kelly in like 1582 to 1587. And, um, and we finally solved it. Like we cracked it that day. And, and Nick was there and he's like, this really is a game. Oh my God, this is like a game. You guys are playing in this game. And I believe fundamentally, I'll tell you what, what set me over the edge on this. I was already a believer in sort of simulation, holographic simulation theory. And you know, I'm really good friends with Nassim Haramein. I had lunch with him yesterday. And um, we've been talking about this stuff for a long time, right? A long, long time, many years now. But what really set me over the edge is when I started to create a new game. So for me, we have this, one of my companies is called Cyber, C-E-Y-E-B-E-R. And it's a, we have a Cyberverse and we have this product called Third Eye, which starts off as glasses, right? So augmented reality glasses. 
And in the game, it's a spiritual life simulation. So we teach how to navigate consciousness, being able to pattern recognize. That's pretty cool. It's epic. It's pattern super epic. I'm telling you, I put the glasses on yesterday. If you go on my Telegram, um, you'll be able to see because I posted a video of these glasses. They're freaking epic. And, um, and like, I mean, super clear. And you can still see the world around you. It's just sort of overlaid. Instead of having to wear this giant, you know, hollow lens thing around your head, it's just light glasses. They were 56 grams. And the idea of this, you look down at your body in this game, you'll see your chakras. You can actually look down and see your chakras. And they've got geometries on them. And as you go through these different tests of expansion of consciousness, being able to learn how to transcend, you know, this notion of judgment, mm -hmm. understanding that fact is facet, and, and being able to also uh, pattern recognize numbers and synchronicities, this, this is gonna be so cool to expand awareness and consciousness. And I, I'm like really excited about it. So we start creating this game, right? We start creating the game and then there's a whole world around it. And once you get to the higher chakras, then it goes to the next level, level of the game, which could be played on a desktop, right? It also uh, could be uh, basically used mm -hmm. with, the, with the virtual reality glasses. So you can kind of go to this other world, right? And then there's this mixture of worlds. It's almost like Hogwarts, right? So you know how Hogwarts, they go to the train station and, and the train station looks normal, but there's the a wall. whole world yeah, within the wall. that yeah. train station. You walk through the wall, right? You walk through the wall. This is kind of like that. This is teaching you, you start seeing artifacts from this other magical world, right? That's part of this game. We wanted to make it fun, right? And so you follow these, these things. Let's say you're in a restaurant and you get a notification on your phone saying, there's a clue here in this restaurant. Follow the white rabbit. Then you put your glasses on or you could just use your phone in camera mode and you'd see this white rabbit run across the screen. So follow the white rabbit where it's taking you, it takes you to the hallway outside the bathroom. And there you get some instruction, right? Or some guy shows up, walks up to you if you're wearing the glasses and talks to you and tells you, this is what you have to find type of thing. It's like Pokemon Go no, I on love like this. super mega mega steroids. But it's all consciousness. It teaches hermetic wisdom, alchemy, the chakras, what they're all about, astrology, numerology. And, and so as we're building this game, at the, we were laughing because I was like, wait a minute. So what if we end the game where all of us are sitting in a conference room talking about creating a <laughs> no, game? Oh, no. That's, that's the matrix. You're... <laughs> that's good. That's awesome. <laughs> so I was sort of like laughing about that. And I saw Nick did a podcast interview. Um, and and they, talk, they tackled the topic uh, of... Uh, they tackled the topic of, uh, of deja vu in one of them. And I'm trying to remember which one it was. And I know it was the numerologist that was doing it. Uh, uh, care, I think. And it was awesome the way they addressed it. I, I do believe we live in a simulation of mind consciousness. Um, I've made many comments about this. And, you know, Elon Musk has been saying this for a long time. And and, and he always sort of said it tepidly. He's like, maybe we live in a simulation. I, I believe we live in a simulation. Um, I believe it's a beautiful simulation that is intended for us to learn how to love and how to be loved. And the back backdrop of it is this difficult environment of duality that we have to learn to transcend. I believe also that we 
choose every aspect of this game. Like literally every detail. Uh, I believe everything's retrocausal. So the past determines the future and the future likewise determines the past. It's a Taurus. And I was with the Sim yesterday and he mentioned the word. He's like, actually, it's a, it's a horned Taurus. And I'm like, well, the Taurus does have <laughs> horns. And, and a horned Taurus is basically a Taurus that doesn't have a donut hole. It just has a singularity at the center. So think of it as yeah, the it's going in so much. Inwards, that it, if you keep right, going into it, it'll still keep going into itself, right? There's no hole. It just yeah, right, right. Mm -hmm. There's no hole. It just goes, and so it becomes in a way like a Klein Taurus. So uh, think of it like a Klein yeah. bottle. So what goes inward actually mm -hmm. then comes outward like an Escher drawing, right? You could think of Escher like this, and and so as I've been kind of like thinking about this, you know, you start w really coming to the conclusion that, wait a minute, this must have an impact on how we perceive time. And is time itself just a persistent perception of duality? Oh, I see. Past and future. It's another way of looking at one and zero. When actually, the truth is everything is now. And, and that would be the X which is also why we're probably in quantum computing now going to superposition of X. It's not just ones and zeros. So we're moving towards this reality that I think is no longer only about ones and zeros and about duality, but rather now more about the Shen, the Chi. It's the Chi and Alpha oh. Chi Omega. It's the thing that connects the two sides. You know, the brain has a left side, right? So if you're right-handed, the left brain is the seat of logic. It's the seat of rational thought. It's the seat of, you know, mathematics. It's the seat of, uh, of, of all these things that are very structured, right? The right brain is where all of our creativity comes from. It's our imagination. It's, it's where we have this answer in our head. Should I take this risk? And the answer is yes. And the left brain says, no, don't take the risk, right? And, and then in the center, our right eye connects to the left brain and our left eye connects to the right brain through something called the optic chiasm it, oh it's oh, chi the, so it's it's a, wow the so that's like so that's the bridge i see it now i see what you're saying okay so you've got alpha which is the linear the straight lines you've got the irrational which is the beauty of the curve in the omega and the crossover point in the center is the chi the brain becomes Alpha Chi Omega. And as we learn hemisphere synchronization between the left and right brains, that's when all of a sudden we expand our consciousness exponentially. We start perceiving time differently. We start perceiving our lives very differently. We start understanding, instead of looking outside and saying, why did someone do this to me? You start thinking right. differently and saying, right. why did I choose this? What's the reason that this happened for me? Instead of like, man, everything is happening to me. It's a whole, it's just a different flip. The universe is happening for me. So it's trying to teach me something. Mm -hmm. So why did I choose this experience? What was I hoping to learn? So when I was thinking about making this game, you start realizing, whoa, this is kind of exactly what this is probably like. And I came to the realization of why Jewish Kabbalists and, you know, in the rabbinical practice, at a certain point in their spiritual practice, start to make a clay man. 
and the idea it's called a it's, and they they make it a caricature of it in Lord of the Rings, and that's what right, Spiegel, right. right, which was Gollum. It's a Gollum. It's called a Gollum, the clay man, and it's actually supposed to be a recreation, an emulation of the Creator making us and breathing life into us. That it, you can see it, you can see the universe as this gigantic scientific experiment, or you could see it as an incredible work of art, and. At a certain point, when a scientist becomes so great at his work, there becomes an artistic quality to it, right? It becomes simplistic, and the design is so beautiful. And so if you're a creator of this universe, and you had a son, let's say you're my son, and I'm the creator of this universe, and I made all of it for you. And really, I may call you, the, I, may, I may be your father, but actually, I'm more just like your higher self. So let's say that I separated out consciousness into a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. And the unconscious mind was the universe all around you. You have a unique number. Your unique number is X and the world around you becomes one over X to you. It's you're the reflection and that's the absorption. Your universe is the absorption of you being reflected wow. back to you. Yeah, yeah, Everything yeah. that you are not, right? So let's say that I made this incredible universe and made it all with every painstaking detail put in place. You know, and I made flowers beautiful and I made all this stuff so beautiful, but you're walking through life saying, oh, there's a flower, big deal. It's kind of like, you know, as an artist, when you do something that's really, really difficult, like a sculpture, right? There's something like the sculpture is exactly like this. The hard part of the sculpture for me has always been the internal structure. It's not actually the shaping of the clay. It's the structure so that the whole thing doesn't fall apart. Because trust me, it does. And then you're like, ah. So you have to know how to create all this structure inside of it that it can be built to last. And nobody gets to see the structure. But only another sculptor knows what it takes to make sure the structure internally is exactly right oh. and perfect. That becomes the framework for everything else. So at a certain point, I would want you, as you expand your consciousness, to actually understand and realize everything that went into my building of this world for you. Because really the message is, I love you. The message is, I love you so much. I want you to learn all these things. Even the things that are gonna be difficult and hard, they're gonna make you cry, they're gonna break you. They're gonna put you through your most difficult circumstances and maybe even make you question whether you want to go on or not. I would want you to learn what I went through so that you could actually appreciate the creation itself. And to me, that is really no different than the separation we create from our higher selves and separate into a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. It's a mathematical geometric separation. And I believe that, you know, history is on the side of this now. The Nobel Prize just was given and basically proclaim to the world that local realism is false. Which is mind boggling. The science is like, you know, really catching up to that reality, um, that local realism is false. Can you, can you kind of like summarize that in a layman's terms? Yeah, so it means that, I know it's gonna sound weird for some people, but unless something is being observed, it doesn't have a position. 
if it doesn't have a position, it means it's not there. So, so just to kind of uh, even make it more layman, imagine you're playing a video game and the character, where he's facing, that's what's being rendered. That's what's buffered. But behind the character, there's nothing there. Unless, unless you turn the character around and it yep. starts to render. <laughs> so. Correct. And there's a limit. There's a limit on your perception speed. And it's oh. called the speed of light. So, because that's the time to render. Interesting. Because thought, thought is faster right? than light. <laughs> I don't know. Is there... Well, there has to be there has yeah. to be some limit, right? So, this notion that if you were to you know not observe, if no one were to observe the solar system, would it spin as it is, or is it just then a wave of potential? That's that's deeper than if a tree falls in the woods is and nobody's there to hear it. Does it make a sound? Um, I guess no, right? Based on science. Well, and this goes right back to Schrodinger's cat. It goes right back to, is the cat dead or alive? It will be what you expect it to be. So this is what the problem in science has been. Whatever we've expected to find is what we have found. Ooh, Ooh wait. So are you saying that our reality is this lump sum of, of the conscious collective expressing itself? <laughs> All right. Yes. Because that's yeah, yeah, yeah. creating a collective expectation. That collective expectation is oh. what we define as the future. Wow. You always blow my mind every time I talk to you. Literally, my, I, you don't see it, but I have a big hole in the back of my head right here. And it's just there's splatter <laughs> of knowledge and <laughs> just chaos behind me. But no, you're, you're um, that, that, is, that is what it is. That's what's happening. And, and, and you know, it, it, it reaffirms to me that how the importance of working on, on an individual level and not trying to, you know, change. It's like the whole political thing. Like I've given up, given up on that as well, because it's like, they're just, if, if what you're saying is true, they're putting on a show to pull out of the conscious collective a reality that they want. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. And, but remember, they I know I was to, actually that's just you. about to say yeah. oh it's just reflections of us the world around us is just a reflection of of what's happening on the inside of us remember it's if you look at spectral analysis and this is where the Bohr atom model really comes in I spent the day yesterday uh, with a very very incredibly brilliant scientist uh, and his, his name is um, Hussein. He's like 80 years old. He's got two PhDs in, in nuclear physics and applied mathematics. And I spent the whole afternoon with him. And he is an inventor of many, many technologies, many of which are already embedded in the iPhone you're carrying right now. And his, his name is Hussein Al-Ghuri. And a fantastic fellow too, big heart. And we were talking about exactly these topics. Exactly. And he's followed my work very, very closely. And we're, you know, working on uh, something together right now, which is pretty exciting. And I was like, uh, kind of blown away that he came to the exact same conclusions that I came to on what the purpose of, of life is. I had the exact same experience two weeks ago. I had Donald Hoffman, 
who is a professor at UCI and probably one of the world's experts on mathematical mapping of human consciousness. And he wanted to do a, with me a whiteboard session for four hours to apply this concept of like what I call monadicity, this X and one over X model and see how we can apply it to their work. And he brought his top mathematician with him as well. His name is uh, Chetan Salhotra, another professor. And we spent the afternoon together and you know, we had a great time. And they walked out of the office telling me, they're like, wow, our minds are blown. And the thing is that I say this to them and I said this, I say this to you now, all of us can tap into a higher consciousness. All of us can. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no better and neither are you. We're all equal in this. It's, it's all just reflection. So when you look at this Borata model, which says you have spectral analysis that then has the reflection spectra of hydrogen, and you have the absorbed spectrum of hydrogen, and the relationship between the two is just X and one over X. And this is defined by the inverse square law. And most people don't even know this. If you want to find the other way to derive the one over X of a value, let's say you didn't do the, the, the method of using one over X to find it. Do you know how you can do it? You just take any number and try this on your calculator. And you take and square that number. So if you had 432, it would square to 186,624. Okay. Then you take the one over X of that number. And that's going to give you 0 0.0000539. Okay. Then you multiply it again by 432, the original number, because what you've just done is taken an inverse okay. square of the distance, right? Or the length, which is 432 in this case, which is how you define the effects of gravity and electromagnetism, radiation effect, right? And gravitational effect is compliant, both of those perfectly with the inverse square law. Well, you end up with exactly the one over 432 value that you were looking for. So taking a number, squaring it, taking its inverse and multiplying it by its original value gives you one over 432 mm -hmm. in that case, because I used the number 432. So it is intrinsic, the inverse square law of gravity electromagnetism is built right in to X and one over X, period. And X and one over X is exactly what is believed to be the separation between reflected and absorbed light of a black hole. And it perfectly predicted in the Bohr atom model the exact wavelengths of light emission of hydrogen element. So yeah, how are we different? You could say that you have a number and your number could be a very large number and it could be the summation of all of your spectral emissions. So the world around you would just be oh, wow. one over that value. Yeah, that's what you're saying. <laughs> which because, yeah. so take one over that value, which is then reflected back to you. It's the absorbed part of you that then is reflected back to you in the world around you. And you then look at that periodicity of that number, one over that long number that you have, whatever it is, will create a period because that's how one over X works. You have this, like one over seven is 0.142857. And then those six digits repeat infinitely. It creates a sine cosine relationship. It's a wave. And we found that the prime factors of all numbers of semi-prime numbers can be found inside the period at nodal locations. The prime factors of numbers, so that's why 1 over 35 is point, 
285714 and the middle of that wave, which is five and seven, 285714, the very mm -hmm. middle of that wave of expression are the factors of 35. Okay, I might have lost you a little bit here. Or I lost myself in your conversation. So what I'm saying is that that one over X representation of a number, if it happens to be a semi-prime, which is divisible by two prime numbers, right? You can find inside the wave of expression of that semi-prime number, it's two prime factors in nodal locations, right? That then are determined by the distance from the primes that are absolutely predictable and patterned. This is one of the papers that we wrote, right? We didn't publish this one. Uh, we made it available to several people, but we haven't published it yet. But we, we found that all prime factors can be found inside of the one over X representation, which means that you could literally say that your expression of X is also made by the universe around mm -hmm. you, right? So the universe around you can multiply together to create your expression of X. And so what you're experiencing around you mathematically is this period cycle of samsara okay so it's a repetition cycle that until you become aware of yeah, you will continue to be a slave so, to. so are, you, are you saying that we but that we, we individually have the capacity to create our reality like that's a mathematical thing that you've solved now essentially is what you're saying yes yes and you can and there is a method that we've solved as well that every number has a golden ratio. That means that it's one over X representation can actually be for, for any, yeah. infinite irrational, no longer a repeat irrational. You break out of the cycle of samsara, you're no longer stuck. You're no, no longer stuck in this cycle of repetition that you see, I, I don't know about you, but my whole life I've seen patterns, right? And that's why in our game, we're trying to teach people to recognize patterns because pattern recognition is, and I love it when all these people that are materialists will say, oh, oh that's pareidolia. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Then what's the opposite of pareidolia? <laughs> Low consciousness. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you're only going to see what you want to see. You're only going to hear what you want to hear. That's why, you know, when I did this interview with, uh, with Lawrence and I played this part of it today, I asked him, I said, so how do you explain geometry? And right at that moment, he said, uh, his dog started barking. And, and his dogs were barking, and he's like, see, my dogs don't like geometry as a concept either. <laughs> and, I, and I was thinking to myself, well, maybe your dogs are barking to tell you to listen. Drop mic. <laughs> oh, that's good. The universe is always happening for us. It's not ever happening to us. We just have to start realizing when people say they're woke and they're judgmental of other people in, in a negative way, um, then you know they're not really awakened. Because, because when someone really is truly awakened, they're no longer judging. When someone's truly awakened, they only have love and acceptance. When someone's truly awakened, they realize that that they'd experienced had led up to that moment and that they chose it all i'm i'm at a path right now where the only uh way that i move forward in life well not the only way but one of the main ways is through curiosity if, if the curiosity has allowed me to 
sit in, in what I believe and go like, look, I don't know it yet, but I'm curious. <laughs> and I won't deny that information from coming in just because I don't agree with it. You know, it's a, uh, it's a very good way to live. Cause then it's the, the, the expansions of, of my consciousness is, is continuous. It's every day. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. It's, it causes us to look within. It becomes this horned Taurus. And I you know it's funny because Nassim wasn't even thinking about the word Taurus in the context of the bull. He was thinking of it as a toroidal shape, T-O-R-U-S. <laughs> I said, a horned Taurus? That's pretty funny. Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, I believe that the entire universe is mental. And you can find the answers within ancient wisdom of Hermeticism. And if you haven't seen, I did a, a podcast with Aubrey Marcus on this, and it's been quite well viewed, I think. And, uh, but it's, it's about the seven hermetic principles, and I, I highly recommend. If you don't you know, want to watch that podcast, read Kybalion, read uh, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, uh, read the Hermetica. There's lots of things that you can definitely read that are guideposts to what, what we're experiencing. And... I think it's such a beautiful world when we can start to understand that we made it for ourselves and start to get in the mind of the creator and see all of this creation as this incredible work of art. And, and even emotions can have this incredible artistic mm. quality to it. It's all about ratio. How could I know without the backdrop of duality, how could I ever, ever have had all the experiences that I have? You know, I believe that we have our experience and our, understanding and comprehension of time is directly related mm. to our experience with it so if we are 50 years old one year is only a 50th of a lifetime and it goes by so fast if we're one year old one year is a lifetime so we could also say the same thing about love if we've only had so much experience with love then Oof. our context of love is is limited so we should be here to get as much context as we possibly can and help that inform our growth and expansion and learning and i think that's true for everything my experience with 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 pleasure is directly related to my mm. experience with pain so what an incredible backdrop to have all of this perfect duality where everything remains in balance it doesn't matter it's like whatever solution you come up with there will always be a problem associated with that solution. Whatever problem there is, there is always a solution that must coexist concomitantly with that problem. So that means every problem does have some form of solution, just as we have polarity across the world. And it can be seen and viewed as a very beautiful thing when we understand the context of it. Until you realize that this world is a game of consciousness, it can your sure like your limitations are yourself at that point, and it's a matter of peeling those back and finding the solutions that are you know resolving. The moment you realize that you're in this game and how to actually play and operate within it, and find balance within that, yeah, it the gamification of abundance—that's what I like to call it—is <laughs> is what is essentially what you've created with that video game. I mean, and I can even imagine as you were describing it, um, incorporating some blockchain tech into it. And, and uh, oh, the whole I thing is it. on blockchain. Yeah. We did the whole thing on blockchain because 
you know, in this world, we want to make sure people can protect their avatars and everything. The whole thing's on our blockchain. It's all based on uh, quantum resistant, you know, quantum secure encryption and everything, because that's a critical aspect of this. I never felt good about doing this until I knew that we could secure, at least for the foreseeable future. And that's the thing with information theory based encryptions. Um, they can't be cracked by quantum computers. And that's why everything has to be away from, from that. You, know, you can use some transport mechanisms like with lattice-based technologies, et cetera, that are quantum resistant also. Uh, but and when you combine that with something called partial key cryptography, where you don't actually send the entire key and you fragment it across this nodal network, that becomes a super, super strong encryption modality. You're never even sending it with the message being sent. You're not sending the key along with it. You're only sending one fragment of the key along with it that then has to be paired up with which all is, the other fragments. And only which you... Is, which is a thing now that, that they're starting to do. Metamasters came out, or I mean, they didn't come out with this, but people pointed it out that Metamask and a lot of these platforms that we believe to be you know, third-party Web3 disconnected that I own the private keys to, they're still collecting data and they're still pushing data to these, uh, to these decentralized applications online through the, through the wallets. Uh, yep. So what, what you're mentioning there is, is totally. like, you're, you're so ahead of the curve. It's not even funny, man. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to run now because I've got another appointment. I just realized what time it was, but great seeing you again. And, uh, tomorrow. When does the tomorrow. podcast so it'll drop? Be on uh, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all the pl all the platforms. I'll send you the links and stuff so you can share. I'll post it as well. Um, so make sure you guys check it out. It's a nice one. It's very good. Love to all of you. Great to see you. Great Definitely. To see you, thank and, you all for watching. Soon. Always remember, gamify your abundance, brothers. And thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye.